Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to This Day in History class, where we flip through the book of history and bring you a new page every day. The day was February 25th, 1870. Hiram Rhodes Revels, a Republican from Mississippi, took his oath of office in the Senate chamber. That day, Revels became the first African-American to serve in the U.S. Congress. A New York Times article released that same day reported the following. Mr. Revels, the colored senator from Mississippi, was sworn in and admitted to his seat this afternoon at 4.40 o'clock. There was not an inch of standing or sitting room in the galleries, so densely were they packed. And to say that the interest was intense gives but a faint idea of the feeling which prevailed throughout the entire proceeding. Not everybody in attendance was in favor of Revels' achievement. Hiram was born to free parents in Fayetteville, North Carolina in 1827. Early on, he went to a school taught by a free black woman, then traveled north, where it was not illegal for him to get an education. Revels became a minister of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and he moved around the country preaching and educating black people. And from there, he racked up a list of accomplishments, He became the principal of a black school in Baltimore. He helped recruit regiments of African-American soldiers from Maryland during the Civil War. And in 1863, he started a school in St. Louis, Missouri for free black people. After the Civil War ended in 1865, the United States entered a period known as Reconstruction. President Abraham Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation to free slaves in the South, and the South had to be rebuilt. But many states were passing so-called Black Codes, which restricted the freedom of Black people and attempted to maintain the old social order. But radical Republicans demanded civil rights for people who were freed from slavery, and they pursued more aggressive measures to improve the status of Black people in the United States. African-Americans began winning elections to state legislatures, gaining political power. And the 14th and 15th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution were passed in the late 1860s, giving the formerly enslaved citizenship and equal protection of the laws and granting Black men the right to vote. It was during this climate when rebels entered politics. His leadership caught people's eye and he won his first elected position as an alderman in Natchez, Mississippi in 1868. Then in 1869, he got a seat in the Mississippi State Senate. Revels was moderate, eager not to upset racial tensions further, and he was a skilled orator. So in 1870, when the Mississippi State Legislature was looking to put a black man in a vacant U.S. Senate seat, they voted 85 to 15 for rebels. Mississippi has seceded from the Union in 1861, but it was readmitted on February 23, 1870, and rebels was set to be sworn in immediately after. But Senate Democrats objected. 
Some said he hadn't been a citizen long enough to be a senator, as Black people had only been granted citizenship a couple of years before. Others said Mississippi didn't have a civil government to confirm his election. But his supporters came to his defense. Massachusetts Senator Charles Sumner said in a speech on February 25th, The time has passed for argument. Nothing more need be said. I doubt if anything more can be said in the way of argument. For a long time, it has been clear that colored persons must be senators, and I have often so declared. And the Senate voted 48 to 8 to seat Revels. During his term, Revels supported legislation that would allow disenfranchised former Confederates to vote and hold office. He rejected segregation, but didn't advocate for the mixing of races. And he worked to advance Black civil rights. Revels served until the expiration of his Senate term on March 3, 1871. Sixteen African Americans served in Congress during Reconstruction, which ended in 1877. The first Black woman wasn't elected to Congress until nearly a century later, when Shirley Chisholm began her first term in the U.S. House of Representatives in 1969. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast that proves history is always happening. The day was February 25, 1986. Corazon Aquino became the 11th president of the Philippines and the first woman to hold the office. Aquino was born in a province north of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Her family was wealthy and prominent in politics. They were of Chinese, Filipino, and Spanish descent. The family owned a sugar plantation that covered thousands of acres. Aquino went to a Catholic school for girls in Manila until she was 13. At that point, she went to the United States, where she attended Ravenhill Academy in Philadelphia and the Notre Dame Convent School in New York. In 1953, she graduated from the College of Mount St. Vincent, where she majored in French and minored in mathematics. Aquino went back to Manila and enrolled in law school but she soon left school and married Benigno Aquino Jr., who was also from a wealthy family. Over the years, the couple had five children together. Just a year after they married, Ninoy, as her husband was known, was elected mayor of the city of Concepcion. As he rose in his political career, he became the youngest territorial governor and later youngest senator in the Philippines. At the same time, Corazon Aquino focused her attention on taking care of the family. But Ninoy was a vocal opponent of the regime of President Ferdinand Marcos. In 1972, Marcos declared martial law in the Philippines and extended his rule beyond the limit of two terms. 
Ninoy was expected to win the 1973 presidential election. So he was one of the first people put in jail on made-up charges including murder and firearms possession. Ninoy spent nearly eight years in prison. While he was imprisoned, his wife became more politicized and acted as his liaison to the public. Carazon Aquino memorized his speeches and gave them to the press. When Marcos decided to hold parliamentary elections in 1978 under a guise of democracy, Ninoy ran for a seat in parliament, with Corazon running a large part of the campaign. Despite the fact that Ninoy got overwhelming support, Marcos rigged and won the election. The Aquino family moved to Massachusetts in 1980, after U.S. President Jimmy Carter pressured Marcos to release Ninoy from prison so he could undergo heart surgery. Corazon described her time in the Boston area as some of the best years of her life. But in 1983, Ninoy returned to the Philippines to help with parliamentary elections. He was assassinated when he arrived at the Manila airport. Aquino then became a central figure in anti-Marcos politics. As a leader in this charge, known as the People Power Movement, she took part in demonstrations against the regime. When Marcos called for elections in 1985, Aquino's supporters urged her to run for president. After initial hesitancy, she agreed to run and picked Salvador Laurel as her running mate. They ran under his coalition, the United Nationalist Democratic Organization. Though Marcos charged her with a lack of political experience, Aquino gained support through her opposition to the president. Though it was clear that Aquino was winning when the polls closed on February 7, 1986, the government declared Marcos the winner. Aquino and her supporters protested the outcome, and after weeks of conflict, Marcos fled the Philippines. Aquino was sworn in as the first female president of the Philippines on February 25, 1986. During her presidency, several coups attempted to remove her from office. She promoted land reform, free speech, and the prosecution of human rights abusers. But many of these promises went unfulfilled during her tenure. Besides the political challenges she faced, she had to deal with natural disasters and power failures. She remained president until June of 1992. Aquino was diagnosed with cancer in 2008, and she died the next year. Months later, her son was elected president of the Philippines. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you're hungry for more history, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Podcast. We also accept electronic letters at thisday at iheartmedia.com. We're here every day, so you know where to find us. Bye. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.